it genuinely does feel like history has found the two of you and put you in this position uh, because so much does rest on this race uh, and there could not be two better individuals to represent the, the Democratic Party and the hopes and dreams of tens of millions, uh, tens of millions of Americans. We need to invest in America. And one of the things that both John and I agree on and we've been talking about is a historic investment in infrastructure, which would include also green infrastructure so that we create jobs with a livable wage for people in the short term and position the American economy to compete in a global world uh, in a, in a, in a, in a amidst increasing globalization. You know, Reverend and I were discussing this recently and, and how an infrastructure plan can really unite the people of the state because of the economic opportunity that it represents for communities, urban, suburban, and rural, because if done right, it will mean equitable access to economic opportunity for marginalized communities, because it means that those nine rural hospitals that have closed in 10 years can be replaced and more built. It means clinics can be built in underserved areas. It means rural broadband, which is the rural electrification of our time. It means environmental remediation where there's been contamination. It means the kinds of investments in clean energy that mean we're not only building a sustainable economy, but also one where Georgia is the leading producer of clean energy in the region. That is an initiative that can unite the people of this state, that can break down partisan barriers. Zach, it is 2021. 2020 is over. Ah, we made it. This, we made the it. Year, the year that uh, we all wish <laughs> we, we could somehow erase from the memory banks. <laughs> there were some good things that happened. I mean, Joe sure. won. Uh, that, that was epic. Um, that's the main thing that sticks out to me in a good way. Um, <laughs> that's a big one. Donald Trump not being president anymore. Um, for half the country. Yeah, Joe's going to get sworn in in just a couple of weeks. Thank goodness. Uh, so far, 2021 is off to a fine start, um, but we're going to know a whole lot more about how we're going to feel about 2021 this week. January 5th, Tuesday, the Georgia Special Senate runoffs both take place. One of the things I'm, I'm like uh, scratching my chin about is are we going to know the results on Tuesday night? <laughs> no, no way. Zero percent chance. <laughs> because you know, if it's close, there's going to be a recount. Uh, you know, you, you, especially if the Republicans lose, there's going to be like, um, you know, or you know, if Democrats come close, like uh, either side is very much entitled to a recount. Um, it may be close. It may be very close. Uh, we actually have. Uh, some parts of a conversation I had with both John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock uh, a little bit later in this show. So just to be clear to folks, this is not like they didn't sit for a podcast interview. <laughs> so uh, we throw to get your hopes up for a very event. long discourse <laughs> uh, with with the Senate candidates. Um, but I, I did interview them for an event, and we have some uh, uh, parts of that event. A little bit later on, uh, I did get to know both Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff over the last number of weeks, and they're great. They are, are truly awesome leaders, public servants. They would make phenomenal senators. Their opponents, David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, are really not great <laughs> at all. Like, like, like they're really, you know, like there's some Republicans. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you know, I kind of like this person, or you know, this person really has something to say, and like. Uh, that does not really uh, describe David Perdue or, or Kelly Leffler. So for, for those of you who have not, for those of you listening who have not followed this race, the politics, Senate, political Senate race in Georgia for the past number of months, um, which may include me in some ways, um, because I'm politics out in, so, in a lot of ways post the presidential election. Can you give us... Give us like an overview of what what the hell's going on in Georgia. You mentioned the the people running, um, but where we're at, and just catch us all up to speed. 
Oh, I will set the stage. Sure, for those of you who are, are like Zach, <laughs> no, Zach, Zach, Zach <laughs> sorry, sorry, man, I'm so I'm, sick no, of politics. These races are so high stakes; it's unbelievable. Where right now the Senate is essentially 48 Democrat, 50 Republican, and so if Democrats win both of these seats, it becomes 50-50, and then the Vice President Kamala Harris will be the tiebreaker. So you go from Republican control of the Senate and Mitch McConnell as the majority leader, who gets to decide what gets voted on and doesn't get voted on, to Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, demote Mitch McConnell to the minority, and then you have a really different landscape in terms of what can happen out of Washington. Uh, And let's jump to... The biggest example of this, which is cash relief, and then we'll come back to the Georgia Georgia race. So right now, as we're having this conversation, we are approximately five senatorial votes shy of approximately 180 to 200 million Americans getting $2,000 each. Actually, it's, it's higher because I saw the total dollar amount. It's something, because it's a more expansive definition this time, it's something like 200 37 million Americans getting $2,000 each. There are literally five human beings standing uh, in the way of that happening. And it's infuriating. It boggles my mind. There are times when I think to myself, I can't believe we're this close to this happening. And then there, most of the time, I'm like, I can't believe this is not happening, given how close it is and that there are these five assholes. And you can just pick any five. (laughs) Where, like, imagine if... You had the power to uh, send out $2,000 to 237 million people and you thought, no, no, let's not do that. Even though there's a pandemic, even though over 10 million jobs have been lost, even though there are food lines for miles, even though uh, millions of Americans are facing evictions uh, again during a pandemic, uh, let's not do that. Um, Every other country is doing it too. Developed country. Yeah, like developed countries are doing the common sense thing, which is like, hey, stay home, and we should send you some money so you can stay home and and you know not be freaking out, not and be not, not be stressed not out, and not savings. Uh, yeah, uh, and and not feel like you have to go out and um, work to survive. I mean, there are essential workers who we are very grateful uh, for working, but there are a lot of folks who are somewhere in this like a uh, gray area where it's like, well, I don't, I don't have enough to survive. So I guess I have to go out there and uh, look for business as my, you know, as like a, let's say Uber driver or something like that. Um, uh, and retail. So retail, well, yeah, retail uh, in some cases, non-essential. So, yeah. uh, so we are this close and the dynamic around cash relief, it is fascinating how it's developed um, so I'm going to rewind for a minute and listeners to the podcast know about um, like the, the main cash relief component. Uh, so I won't review that in depth. Um, but this $2,000 uh, a month proposal really got kickstarted by Donald Trump in a very, very big way. Uh, so it, it was floating around uh, the Senate and the House that essentially settled on $600, which was previously zero. So there was part of me that was like, well, $600 sucks, but sure is, is a hell of a lot better than zero. And at $600 ahead, it included dependents. So if you're like a single mom with two kids, you get $1,800. So like, it, you know, it wasn't zero, but um, but sure, it wasn't as good as $2,000. Um, so then Donald Trump comes out and says, this should be $2,000 ahead. Um, and then the politics of it, uh, shuffle now to her great credit, um, and Chuck Schumer's great credit, the Democrats then just come out full born are like, heck yes, let's do it. <laughs> like, like Trump says $2,000 and then the house is like, yeah, let's do it. And they hold an up or down vote on the $2,000. And this also is a huge credit, uh, to our representatives. Two thirds of the house approves the $2,000, uh, check in cash relief proposal almost immediately, including dozens of Republicans. Uh, so you get like a real consensus in the House saying yes to $2,000. And then it goes to the Senate. And here's where it gets wild, is you have a handful of Republicans who come out and say, yeah, I'm on board with the, with the $2,000. Uh, so it starts with Josh Hawley, who's been for it the whole time. But then Marco Rubio comes out and says, I am for it. 
Then Lindsey Graham comes forward and says, I am for it. Then, and here's where Georgia comes into play. The two Georgia senators who know that their political career is like neck and neck on the line um, come out and say, I'm for it too. (laughs) so, So at this point, you have five Republican senators. You have virtually all of the Democrats. So you're at like 53 or so. Um, and then to make it filibuster proof, you need to get to 60. And then there were two other senators that also came out for it. So you're about five votes away. Um, and, and that's the, the picture as it stands right now as we're talking. Mitch McConnell then has the most ridiculous objection ever. He's like, no, no, no $2,000 checks because it would be, quote unquote, socialism for the rich. Which, is which makes zero sense. Because the checks are, are, to some extent, means-tested. So if you are really rich, you probably don't get them. Yep. Um, but, th- but then if you look at the 237 million people are going to get them, the vast majority of those people are not rich at all. So it really, what yep. he's saying made zero sense. And it's just, it's yep. just total nonsense and bullshit. And he's the one who, who passed and drove through the tax cuts for the rich um, and the large companies. So the socialism for the rich... That was truly socialism for the rich. Ridiculous. And Bernie called him out on it. So give Bernie Sanders... A lot of, as we I give Bernie so much credit because um, he, he's been uh, championing the relief checks uh, yeah. harder than anyone. Bernie's been our voice on this in many ways, which has been cool because you are not yeah, a sitting Ber- center um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, we, we had a call with Bernie um, a couple of weeks ago and um, yeah, he's, he's been our voice on this for sure. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN dot com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. So another example of the shifting dynamics, Lindsey Graham then comes out and says, hey, we should have a vote on this. And I bet if we have a vote, it passes. (laughs) Like, Like he goes against Mitch McConnell being like, look, if you put this out in front of uh, the the senators, like it, it's really going to be political suicide to to say no to this thing, um, and, and then here's here's where the plot thickens even more. So Bernie Sanders gets up and says, uh, "We we should not let this defense authorization bill pass unless we have a vote on the two thousand um, dollars." So the Senate's rules are very, very pro-senator in that essentially any senator can like filibuster uh, something and like impede progress um, unless it gets overrun by like, you know, near like super majorities, essentially. So Bernie steps forward and says, hey, no vote on the defense authorization bill without the $2,000 checks. The defense authorization bill is essentially needed to like fund the military. <laughs> it's very, very foundational. Like, uh, so it was very brave of Bernie. Uh, and then when the Republicans then said, hey, screw you, Bernie, let's just override this thing and get this show moving. The vast majority of Democrats uh, joined the Republicans and saying, let's override Bernie. 
uh, 41 of them, to be precise. There were six senators in the Democratic Party who decided to stay with Bernie and say, like, yeah, let's let's not do this thing uh, unless we can vote on the $2,000 checks. Um, so I don't know how you feel about this, Zach, but a lot of people are pissed off about it because they're like, wait a minute, Bernie stood up and did the Spartacus thing and was like, you know, I'm going to, or the Gandalf thing or whatever your favorite, like, you know, heroic stand against the tide is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like, like this shall not pass, really. Uh, and, and, uh, and then only six Democrats decided to not vote against Bernie on this. Uh, and the, the six senators, if I remember them, are... Elizabeth Warren, Ed Markey, Jeff Merkley, Ron Wyden, um, and uh, I'm missing uh, just the far left. Uh, Chris Van Hollen uh, was okay. was another. Like, uh, and I gotta say, like when I looked at that list of senators, I was like, I now love those senators because they actually are legit for real. They were willing to stand with Bernie against this vote to uh, fund the military to try and fight for two thousand dollar checks. Um, and it did pain me that there were not more of them. Mm-hmm. This one, I'll say this. It is fun. Before you ran for president, you wouldn't have been able to talk about any of this. Like the fact that, you know, how much you've learned, we've had to learn on how the Senate works and Congress works and who's in, who the players are is, is fascinating and kind of fun. This to me is, is um, does it, more of a question. Does it show you just who these guys actually represent? The fact that Bernie's like, hey, we're not voting on like the num- the millions of uh, billions of dollars we're going to spend on these private companies or uh, these all these defense budgets we've um, approved um, before we give money to the people. Like I'm going to stand for the people and only six people lined up behind him. Does that just is that like a good, healthy indication of where our what our Congress actually represents right now, who they actually are are representing? Or that's where my head goes. I don't know what you think on that. You know, I think it was a brave, potentially politically unpopular stance to take. Uh, I wish more Democrats had decided to side with Bernie. It's like everyone just stood up and were like, yeah, let's not do anything until we get this two thousand dollar up or down vote. If you get that vote in front of the floor, I think you get another um, five Republican senators just to be like, what am I going to do? Like stand in the way of my people on $2,000 checks, like an idiot. (laughs) Like it's one thing. Uh, and, and the dynamic with the Georgia senators is instructive where they're literally getting voted on, you know, like right now or, you know, tomorrow. Um, and they were like, well, I certainly don't want to be on the record as against this thing, especially because they were getting beaten up, um, by John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock as not being for a $2,000 cash stimulus, which is a very politically unpopular place to be. I mean, the last numbers I saw were something like 88% of Americans favor some cash relief during the pandemic. And then, like, the popularity varies based on the level, but it's still very, very popular. (laughs) And Ossoff and Warnock have received a bump in the polls for what they are worth. They are polls. But the polls in Georgia were relatively accurate um, in the presidential election this cycle. It said it was going to be a toss-up, lightly leaning Democrat, and that's exactly what panned out. Um, And so they've gotten a bump recently because we think of their support and cash relief. And it seems to be a nonpartisan support um, from the voters in Georgia and na- nationwide. Um, and then plus it's a press cycle too, over and over on <laughs> this issue uh, right before election day, right? Yeah, Mitch McConnell literally at some point said, it's like, well, we need to try and uh, help these senators. Um, so that was one of his drives between authorizing the $600 cash relief. And then now you know that Mitch has essentially signed off on the two of them coming out for the $2,000. And then he said, like, uh, I'm going to kill this thing. Like, you don't need to take responsibility for killing it. Um, like, like that that almost certainly has gone on behind the scenes. Um, really, in, in many ways, the other question is, like, Marco Rubio, Lindsey Graham, the other Republican senators who are coming out being like, let's do this thing. You know that there are another dozen Republican senators who are thinking the same thing. And, and if, again, it came to a vote, they would just be like, yeah, let's do it. You know, like some of the folks that I think might be in that camp, um, I think Mitt Romney's a possibility. I think Rob Portman of Ohio is a possibility. I think there are other folks that um, that if they had a vote, like they would do it. Um, so so, so the, the politics of cash relief, and this is a silver lining to this thing, is that uh, cash is such a winning um, policy at this point that Virtually every Democrat supports it, and a lot of Republicans support it. Um, and, and among the American people, it's widely popular. 
and, and the socialism thing just isn't working for people anymore. Like the the like demonization of socialism because you know we've been bailing out the banks and corporations to like such a high degree where everyone's like looking like wait a minute like what are you what, what like like what like what are you complaining about? It's like what what happened to to all these rich corporations that are just getting money hand over fist? This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. I will confess to you, Zach, that my sense as to the odds of the Democrats winning have changed. Uh, my sense has changed over the last number of day, days and weeks. So, um, so you know, you and I have spent a lot of time in Georgia Um uh, knocking on doors and ha having events uh, for both candidates. Um, and uh, the energy has grown a lot over time. When we got started, there was a lot of pessimism about Democrats' chances in Georgia. And there were a few very, very reasonable reasons to be pessimistic. Uh, yeah, so like I, I certainly would talk very optimistically, but if you looked at the landscape, you would say, okay, historically, Democrats have fared very poorly in runoffs in Georgia specifically. <laughs> you know, so so, that, so that, that's not like a good, uh, a good data point where the last time there was a Democratic runoff in Georgia, just like, you know, it was really, really tight um, in the actual race and the person lost by like 10 points or something. So, so that, that's not a great precedent. Um, the other precedent is actually buried in the Georgia vote totals themselves where Joe won Georgia by 12,000 votes, very, very thin margin, I mean, millions of votes cast. Uh, and David Perdue uh, had got more votes than John Ossoff by maybe something like um, 60 or 70,000. So there were at least some 70, 80,000 Georgians who showed up, voted for Joe Biden, and then voted for David Perdue and not John Ossoff. Um, now that total number was, you know, maybe less than a hundred thousand Georgians, but still like if, if you see November as like the high water marks, <laughs> then you, then you think, okay, um, the, the odds are that the Republican wins because there were at least some 80 to a hundred thousand Georgians who, uh, split their ticket and split their ticket in a way that is not positive for, um, for John Ossoff. So, so those were some of the data points you had coming in. Another data point, uh, in, in the uh, Warnock-Leffler race, uh, Reverend Warnock got significantly more votes than Kelly Leffler in that race, but there were uh, something like six significant candidates, and the Republicans got significantly more votes than the Democrats in, uh, in that race. So if you look at all of the data going in, you were like, this is probably going to be a real steep uphill climb for Democrats in Georgia. Uh, and then that was compounded by the fact that day one early on in the Georgia race, the Republicans piled in in a big way um, where the, the Mitch McConnell Senate super PAC bought tens of millions of dollars in ads. They sent a thousand operatives. Like, uh, uh, like they, they uh, descended in force in a way um, that seemed to supplement their advantage. What's your prediction? Like I, I actually, I was with you where it's like, I don't think 
the Dems will be able to pull this off. I thought it was likely that maybe Split looked like Kelly Loeffler is hateable enough um, and kind of disgusting human who sells her stocks before uh, when she finds out Corona's happening instead of uh, warming the American <laughs> She literally people. gave it enough thought where she like bought Zoom. She was like, what's yeah. going to benefit <laughs> in, what, this, like, that's so in this terrible time? Yeah, um, it, was, it was scummy. Though, though David Perdue did something similar. Uh, they they both got dinged on insider trading on uh, on the coronavirus. I mean, David Perdue didn't seem yeah like yeah doesn't seem any better. Um, but he's at least won an election before. I don't think I think she was appointed right. So, but my thought was, I thought the Dems would split. Um, but it look it's looking like they may have a better shot than I thought. I still think they split. That's my prediction. But I've been wrong before. Um, I thought well, Trump was going to win. I w- I'm- I'm going to push against uh, you on this, Zach, where, um, so I agree with you wholeheartedly that David Perdue has a much more real connection with the people of Georgia than Kelly Loeffler. Everyone knows the Perdue name. It's very, very famous in Georgia. And David Perdue has won an election in Georgia. So, you know, he's been the senator. Everyone's like, yeah, he's our senator. Kelly Loeffler, like you said, just got appointed uh, last year. And everyone's like, what? She's our senator? What? She's got an election. Yeah. Uh, and and driving around Georgia, um, I saw many more David Perdue signs than I saw Kelly Loeffler signs. Like uh, David Perdue actually has some real uh, affection there in a way that Kelly Loeffler does not. That said, I do not think it is feasible at all that hundreds of thousands of uh, Georgians show up and split the ticket. Like I, I do not think that they're going to show up and say um, David Perdue yes, but then I'm going to you know, not vote in the other or vote for Reverend Warnock. Like, I, I just don't see it, particularly given the inflammatory nature of the messaging on the Republican side, where, where there's just been like, essentially, it's been fear, fear, fear. Uh, like, that, that's like their great motivator for their voters right now. Like, vote for David Perdue to save America. Radical left is John Ossoff. Radical left is Reverend Warnock. Um, and even though John Ossoff's a white dude, like, there's just been a lot of very racialized advertising uh, against both him and Reverend Warnock. Reverend Warnock in particular. Some of the stuff they've done with the Reverend Warnock advertising has been, like, completely out of context. Like, he had something where he was saying, hey, we should, like, free people who are in jail for marijuana, which I 100% agree with and most people agree with. And and they just played the clip being like, you know, we have to, like, uh, you know, like, bring our kids home and made it seem like you wanted just to, like... Free everyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, so they take like, clips out of his his sermons um, where he's all fired up for like literally two seconds. And they're like, listen, I'm saying that. Like, I hate when people do that. I hate that. Um, and most people have got better about it. But political ads, ads have not. Well, so so my, my point is that I just don't see a lot of ticket splitting. I think a lot of people are just going to mm. show up and go DD or RR. Yeah. Um, so even even though I do believe that David Perdue has a more authentic relationship with voters than Kelly Loeffler does, I think either they both win or they both lose. So, and who do you think is you think think the Dems will pull this off? Are you allowed to make prediction? So the data points that have come in that have made people more excited and positive uh, turnout in the early vote has been up across the board, particularly in Democratic leaning areas. Um, 100,000 Georgians who did not vote in November have already voted in the runoff. Now think about that for a second. How the heck are you in Georgia? You, you like missed the, the, the presidential, which is like the highest stakes presidential ever. Uh, and then now you've early voted uh, in this race. And I have a feeling that the bulk of those 100,000 people um, are young people or disenfranchised people that actually got activated by a grassroots organization um, during this time. I think 22,000, for example, 17-year-olds turned 18. <laughs> so, so, you know, that might be a, a chunk of the 100,000. Um, and for, for people who don't know, um, I co-founded um, uh, an organization called Win Both uh, Seats that has funneled over two and a half million dollars to 16 organizations that are activating voters in Georgia, uh, primarily voters of color. This is like New Georgia Project um, and uh, CARES um, and uh, Black uh, Male Voters Project and like a, a series of others. Um, so there, these organizations have been going on the ground in buses, just like showing up and activating voters. And I think that's where the new 100,000 came from. Um, you know, because if you're a Republican in Georgia, 
you voted for Trump in November. <laughs> you know, like, like that, that's like, that's pretty clear. So, uh, so those two data points are very, very positive for Democrats. Um, the early vote has come in strong. There are new voters. Uh, and the sole determinant of whether Republicans are going to win this is whether they also get a turnout surge on Election Day, January 5th. And as you're listening to this, it's quite likely that Donald Trump is rallying in Georgia January 4th um, because he's actually showing up in Georgia to try and get out the vote. Um, if some proportion of voters sit this one out uh, on the Republican side, then the Democrats win. Um, and that percentage does not need to be enormous. Like if, let's say, 5 to 10% of the folks who showed up in November are like, yeah, I was there for Trump and it's not Trump this time and you know, Trump uh, had some issues with the process and maybe this process isn't even fair. Maybe I'm just going to sit this one out. Like, you know, I, I have better things to do. Like, if that happens, then Democrats win. Um, that's one reason why Trump is coming back in on the 4th. The Republican Party has been begging him uh, to try and activate his voters in Georgia to try and get their turnout up. So so the signs are good for Democrats in that they've done their job. Like, they, they've gotten the um, their voters to vote early. So I think that's a politician's answer of saying you probably advantage uh, Ossoff and Warnock, advantage Democrats in this one. And maybe right. Um, I think the Republicans are in a bit of a catch-22 where it's like, hey, these the election results were fake. But hey, make sure you vote in this election because we need it. Um, like it's tough, to, it's tough to say both of those things. <laughs> um, literally, th- th- this is one thing that I thought was <laughs> like a, a sign of how, how weird it got in Georgia on the Republican side. Um, the Secretary of State of Georgia is Republican, you know, uh, so like he, he's on their team. And then Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, like were attacking him and like calling him, I think, to, to resign. And then he was like, I'm not resigning. Um, and they, they were doing it because they thought that would be like a sign of loyalty to Trump, um, where uh, and that's, I think, one reason why uh, Leffler and Purdue have come out for the $2,000 checks is they've pretty much been like, this is the Trump train and we're going to get on it for everything. Um, and if that includes trashing the Republican Secretary of State saying that the process wasn't fair, then let's do that too. Um, and so, so, so then turning around and then saying, it's like, but we need you to vote. Uh, then you're like, wait, didn't you just like trash this, <laughs> this guy, this process? Um, it, it's a strange narrative. Uh, and is it going to be enough to keep a few voters home? We will find out. We'll find out. Who knows? Um, oh, man. I, I, look, I mean, look, if we learn anything from the November election is that, frankly, most of the country, if you live in a, an urban city in this nation, you, generally speaking, have no idea what people around the rest of the world, particularly in red states, think what they're doing. Um, and we find out on election day every time. Um, in 2016, we're like, oh, they're really upset. That's, I mean, because there's no media, there's no local media, there's no way for them to, for stories to kind of be lifted up. So um, election day is many ways, the only way we find out what's happening in rural America, um, which is dark, but I think it's, there's some accuracy there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I will say this, two things. One, this matters. It matters a lot. Um, so this is literally the fate of the world because whether or not you, you're a Republican or Democrat, there are big problems this country needs to solve um, and needs to lead the world on. Call it climate change, call it AI, call it automation that you've run on, call it handling coronavirus. And if we do not have a functioning, if we have a split Congress, I think the odds, I mean, the, uh, case in point with cash relief bill right now, we're not going to get anything done. We can't even get that done. Um, and we have, you know, consensus on it. So that's point one. And point two, um, I think this needs to be said, and I'm going to bring a rant, is that one of the things you did, Andrew, and I think this country owes you debt for, is normalizing cash relief. 
Now, there's a lot of talk on $2,000, this amount of money, and they're not talking about Andrew Yang in the press right now. And um, I think the fact that we're debating amounts instead of debating whether this is a crazy idea or not is a lot to do with, with why you ran. Um, you have normalized it. The way that, why does Bud Light advertise? It's not because they have a new product or new flavor or anything. Is that they make it normal to order a Bud Light. They make it rational to bring Bud Light to a party and no one questions it. And you normalized cash relief. You normalized universal-based income so that these clowns, frankly, can debate it all day long, but we don't have to debate whether it's a crazy idea anymore because you were the, quote, crazy one. So um, this country owes you a debt for that, man, whether they give you credit or not. And hopefully the people listening disagree with me. And I don't know, you're too humble to be like, oh, it's all me, but I will say that. It, um, it wouldn't be happening, I don't think, if you had run. You know, And you said earlier, I think, a while. I'd shudder to think what solutions they'd be pre presenting if we hadn't made cash relief an option on the table. Does that make any sense? Uh, well, I'm super indebted to you and the Yang Gang, everyone listening to this, uh, because we did it. You know, if I had run for president on universal basic income and never made the stages, never reached a level of uh, visibility and prominence where then we could normalize it, um, then we, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. I do think that we have helped um, make it acceptable for everyone just in the nick of time. And it's here to stay. Uh, like this $2,000 cash relief proposal is going to be kicking around until some version of it passes, I believe, because millions of Americans are looking up being like, wait, like we haven't gotten shit since, you know, April or whatever. That was nine months ago and then you're talking about 600 and like a lot of people are like 600 like uh you know and then and then they hear like maybe 2000 trump said 2000 like you know you can't put this genie back in the bottle <laughs> you know like cash relief's here to stay until the economy is prosperous again and this economy hasn't been prosperous for millions of americans in decades so you know so it's not going anywhere and the pandemic has made everything so much worse for tens of millions of people super grateful to you zach super grateful to everyone who believed in us uh, i hope everyone's proud of what we've done thus far um i certainly am proud um and at this point i'm very happy to not be the guy who um like uh, gets credit anytime something positive happens because that's actually part of the normalization you know what i mean like That's if, true. if you have it's these, like the Yang if you thing. have these, yeah, <laughs> if you have these legislators or being like, yeah, 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 then it's like, yeah, sure. I mean, take it. It's yours. <laughs> you know? That's true. Like, That's a really good point. You've made this thing a thing and then you've stepped away in the point where Bernie can support it and Mitt Romney can support it and the Pope can support it. And it's, it's no one's thing anymore. It's now just its own movement. Um, and the, though, the, the, though, it, though, even though it is its own movement, though we're we're not above like calling people and leaning on them or trying to apply pressure. Oh yeah, like, we have know, a role. Like, like, like we'll we'll we're, we're we're like continuing to work, um, but I'm I'm content to work in a way that I think is effective, and I think that it's more effective if people feel like they can own it. I agree. There's not because we like look I mean, you worked for CNN, work for CNN there's we have a you know all the political reporters nationally and locally we can call at all the time we are not calling them saying give Andrew more credit because we don't think that's effective um and I agree with that I think that's the, that's been the right strategy it's working well um hopefully we get this passed geez um and hopefully frankly hopefully it impacts the Georgia Senate race um it already has in a coming. wild way right. I mean shoot like that like they but th this is here to stay. If John and uh, Reverend Warnock win, um, it will be much, much more possible to get really positive things out of government. Uh, you know, it's why uh, you and I decided to fight it out in Georgia. Um, one of the things I I've, I've said, probably in private, but I'll say it publicly, whatever, is if you give Washington an excuse not to work, it will take it. Like, th this is one way to just get an excuse off the board. Uh, you know, like, right now that excuse is Mitch McConnell. It's like, I'm going to just blame everything on Mitch, which is not inaccurate, because Mitch is being, like, a total uh, asshole obstructionist about a lot of things. Uh, it, it, if we can clear him out, oh, my gosh. Then, like, uh, everything becomes possible. So this podcast is, in many ways, about the here and now, the immediate. It's not too late to help in Georgia. You can still donate to winbothseats.org and money will still flow to organizers. 
Uh, you can still bug your friends in Georgia to vote. You can still uh, try and get something going, um, even down this last mile, because the votes are going to be counted through Tuesday night. Uh, every vote's going to count. This thing is going to be close. And if we win, uh, it's going to be a new day in D.C. and a new day in America. Uh, and I, I'm really, really hopeful. Uh, getting to know these candidates has made me even more pumped for them. They would make tremendous U.S. senators. Uh, and uh, their opponents are, are, you know, are in the Senate now and not, not many good things have been happening. Amen. All right, man. It has been wild to watch this thing shape out. It is wilder that the beginning of 2021 is going to start with such a high stakes <laughs> election that we've had a lot of uh, active involvement in. Um, and I hope we're hope I'm with you, man, hoping of signs of good things to come. So enjoy this clip. It's it's not a normal podcast. I interviewed the candidates for an event, and these are clips from that event. Yeah. Um, so you guys get to know the candidates a bit and get to know Andrew's hear Andrew's relationship with them too. So enjoy it. John Ossoff, Reverend Warnock, and Andrew. Let's Yang. go, Georgia! Georgia Jan 5. Let's do it. <laughs> and if you're in Georgia, we you better freaking vote. In Georgia. We you love you, Georgia. We're gonna love you even more. If you vote blue, <laughs> we'll love you anyway. Georgia's awesome anyway, but Georgia's I great. will say a lot of people in the country will be very excited. <laughs> save, no pressure, Georgia. Go save the world. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this incredible fundraiser for John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock. Welcome to both of you. You're gonna save the country. Yes. Thank you so much, Andrew. Wonderful yeah. to be here with you to save the country. No pressure at all, none. No pressure at all. You guys are used to it by now. So uh, one of the arguments I get, uh, because a lot of folks wanna see DC come together and they say, hey, we need bipartisanship. Uh, and they're concerned that if we elect both of you, which obviously we, we're going to do, I mean, that's the thing to do, the, the concern they have is that somehow a balanced government is better than having one party in charge of everything. Now, I, I think this is frankly a, a dumb <laughs> argument, uh, but what is your response to that voter? I think a lot of us have been feeling something in our hearts these last few weeks that's a little unfamiliar given how this year and the last four years have gone. And it's that feeling is hope because Trump is leaving. There is light at the end of the tunnel in this pandemic and economic crisis and zooming out bigger than that, the chance to author the next chapter in our country's history, and to do things that are so long overdue. Expanding voting rights, as the Reverend said, passing a new Civil Rights Act, criminal justice reform, investing in clean energy and infrastructure to both rebuild our economy and create good paying jobs for working people and also to solve this environmental crisis. To finally make sure, and Andrew, you, you do such a great job focusing on this, because what has gone wrong in our country that led us to this moment in the first place? Just because Trump is defeated, we can't, we, we have to recognize that these deeper underlying problems persist, and leadership like his only grows out of soil already poisoned. There are just far too many working people in this country who can't make ends meet, who can't afford housing, healthcare, education, the basics, who have no access to dignified work that pays a living wage so they can work just one job, who are denied equal justice under the law, those basic conditions of the beloved community that Congressman Lewis taught us about. And it's just not complicated how we get there. We can see it. We can see that future. It's tantalizing us. We can enact legislation that solves these problems for ordinary people, but only with the Senate. And so as we only think about the stakes, Senate. as we think about the stakes, yes, it is empowering the health experts and rushing economic relief to people who are suffering. It's also bigger than that. 
It's also this opportunity to progress America on this journey that drew my mother to this country as an immigrant when she was 23, because she believed America was on this journey toward progress. Let's make the most of this moment, win these two races so that we can deliver for people who are hurting and who have been hurting long before this pandemic. It genuinely does feel like history has found the two of you and put you in this position uh, because so much does rest on this race uh, and there could not be two better individuals to represent the, the Democratic Party and the hopes and dreams of tens of millions, uh, tens of millions of Americans. We need to invest in America. And one of the things that both John and I agree on and we've been talking about is a historic investment in infrastructure, which would include also green infrastructure so that we create jobs with a livable wage for people in the short term and position the American economy to compete in a global world uh, in a, in a, in a, in a, amidst increasing globalization uh, over the long term. You know, Reverend and I were discussing this recently and, and how an infrastructure plan can really unite the people of the state because of the economic opportunity that it represents for communities, urban, suburban, and rural, because if done right, it will mean equitable access to economic opportunity for marginalized communities because it means that those nine rural hospitals that have closed in 10 years can be replaced and more built. It means clinics can be built in underserved areas. It means rural broadband, which is the rural electrification of our time. It means environmental remediation where there's been contamination. It means the kinds of investments in clean energy that mean we're not only building a sustainable economy, but also one where Georgia is the leading producer of clean energy in the region. That is an initiative that can unite the people of this state, that can break down partisan barriers. And what this moment represents in Georgia, again, when you got a young Jewish son of an immigrant, a white guy running alongside a black pastor, the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, and we present this vision of opportunity and health and justice for all people in this state. What this is and what this will be is a repudiation of the Republican Party's Southern strategy to divide people in Georgia and Southern states along racial and cultural lines so that we fail to grasp our shared interests. We're presenting to the people of Georgia a vision that stitches together our interests and our values and reminds us that, look, we, we really all need the same things out of life and good government can make those things real for working families who are suffering here in Georgia and across the country. And that's what this is all about. It's interesting. I'm here in Georgia. I have to say the people of Georgia clearly have a stronger connection to David Perdue than they do Kelly Loeffler, in large part because David Perdue has actually been elected, you know, whereas Kelly Loeffler was appointed. And a lot of people still don't know that much about her. I have to say that it's a really interesting dynamic um, we have to face facts that people are going to show up and probably just vote for both of them or both of you. So this really is a get out the vote effort in my mind. If all of the voters who came out in November come back, then we're going to win. And that's what we're here today to, to make happen. There are so many people excited about you both here tonight. And you should know this may be uh, posted in an environment where it gets seen by the public. So, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of people. So for the folks who want to help you, aside from donating, or even if they do donate, how can people help? We're not going to be able to match the financial firepower of the National Republican Party, but we do need to be able to hold our own. So deeply appreciate, especially that grassroots financial support, the $5, $10, $15 contribution as folks can make them to support the campaigns. And get involved by phone banking and by reaching out to people that you know in Georgia who may or may not be aware of this upcoming election. Make sure communicating where, when, and how to vote and what the stakes are. And, and it is a sort of like a, a, just a perfect distillation of what's happening in Georgia and in American politics, these two races. Because you got in, in Purdue and Leffler, the two most corrupt and out of touch members of the U.S. Senate. I mean, when, when Reverend Warnock says his opponent, it's not just that her family owns the New York Stock Exchange, it's that they own the company that owns the New York Stock Exchange. My, my opponent lives on a private island. 
behind like three <laughs> gates. I mean, you, you, and both of them, both of them were too busy looking after their own stock portfolios to take care of the people they represent. Both of them opposed relief for ordinary people while they were calling up their brokers and trying to adjust their portfolios to enrich themselves during a catastrophe and while they were getting classified briefings in Washington. It's extraordinary. But what we are doing is delivering a message of hope to the people here, because this is all about turnout. This is about electrifying, mobilizing, unprecedented participation in our democracy because of a sense of hopeful anticipation and inspiration about what is possible when we win and what this victory will mean in the daily lives of ordinary people who are hurting, who feel left out, for whom the national political narrative is not relevant or resonant because they rightly see politics as this partisan corrupt circus that it has become. People who need to be paid a living wage. People who fear that they may be bankrupted by a bad diagnosis. People who do not trust that the justice system will render justice. Our task is to make sure that they know that we are here to serve them and to deliver tangible relief, equity, opportunity, and justice in their daily lives. Are these men not phenomenal? Do they not belong in the U.S. Senate? Let us make that happen. Let's thank the people that we are going to be celebrating, sending to the U.S. Senate on January 5th, John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock, you all, you are phenomenal. We have to make this happen. History is calling. You have answered the call. Now we have to do our part. So if someone wants to help you guys, John, where do they go? What's the website? It's electjohn, electjon.com. And Andrew, thank you and much love and looking forward to seeing you in coming days. See you soon. Go get them. Uh, Reverend Warnock, where do they go? The website is warnockforgeorgia.com. Everything spelled out. Warnock, F-O-R, Georgia spelled out, dot com. Come and join us. You don't have to come to our state to volunteer. You can do it online, digitally. And um, we're grateful for everybody out there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Reverend. You are incredible. If you were blown away as I was, please do make a contribution to their campaigns, phone bank, text bank, Tell your friends in Georgia, let's get everything behind them. It's a sprint. 